Uh, Acts 2.22 to 41. And now we're entering a new ballpark. This is now post-Jesus. And the church is trying to grapple with everything he taught. And uh, also grappling with why he had to die. And so that's going to take them a while. It's going to take several voices working on that, and, and we'll be dealing with that. So let's look at Acts. Acts, of course, was written by a companion of Paul uh, named Luke. And I didn't realize he was, he was a friend of Paul's. Yes, he was Dr. Luke. He was kind of uh, uh-huh. Luke's, I mean, Paul's personal physician, I think. Interesting. Traveled with Paul. So Luke 2, 22 to 41. Uh-huh. And let's get the context. This is the day of Pentecost. And they're, they're telling, the scribes and Pharisees are telling the the. Christians, the early Christian believers, that um, they are drunk because they're they have these flames of fire on their heads, which shouldn't have elucidated that. I mean, it shouldn't have led to that thought that they were drunk, because the flames of fire was the Shekinah. The Shekinah now is out of the most holy place, which still has its curtain ripped open, and is now individually on each believer. Which is a new, totally new dimension. This is really where individuality begins. We're no longer doing group groupthink. We're doing personal. This is a personal encounter with each believer and God. So uh, Peter gets up, and in verses 17 to 21, he says, uh, actually 14, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for only 9 o'clock in the morning, I'm in verse 15. And then he quotes prophet Joel. Okay? Then he goes on. Uh, And here we can start with verse 22. Uh, Doug, would you read verses 22 to 31, please? Okay, I don't have verses, so where does it start? Uh, It's right after the prophecy of Joel. Okay. Uh, Fellow Israelites, listen carefully to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man thoroughly... uh, Accredited by God to you, the miracles and wonders and signs that God did through him are common knowledge. This Jesus, following the deliberate and well-thought-out plan of God, was betrayed by men who took the law into their own hands and was handed over to you, and you pinned him to a cross Hmm. and killed him. But God untied the death rope and raised him up. Uh, Death was no match for him. David said it all. I read the next. Yeah. I saw God before me <clears throat> for all time. Nothing can shake me. He's right by my side. I'm glad from the inside out. Ecstatic. I've pitched my tent in the land of hope. I know you'll never dump me in Hades. I'll never ever smell and scent the sense of death. You've got my feet on the life path with your face shining sun joy all around me. Okay, can keep reading. I'll I'll stop you when you're done. Dear friend, let me be completely frank with you. Our uh, ancestors, uh, David is dead and buried. His tomb is in a plain sight today. But being also a prophet and knowing that God has solemnly sworn that a 
descendant of his would rule his kingdom, seeing far ahead he talked of the resurrection of the Messiah. <clears throat> no trip to Hades, no stench of death. This Jesus, God raised up, and every one of us here is a witness to it, then raised to the heights at the right hand of God, and receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he poured out the Spirit he had just received. This is what you see and hear, for David himself did not ascend to heaven, but he did say, God said to my master, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for the rest of your feet. Okay. Is that the message? Yeah. I was I was thinking it must be Peterson. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it does. <laughs> yeah, it does. So, so what is what is Peter saying here about Jesus' death? Boy, that is strong language. Boy, I mean, maybe not to get you killed. <laughs> Boy, I mean, that's really just laying it out there, didn't he? Peter did. Where was he at when he was doing this? Was he? They were. Um, they were in one place. <laughs> we don't know where they were. Okay. They probably were in a, a fairly secret place. Oh. But uh, they had a lot of people. It was. A, it must have been open enough for the diaspora Jews. This is this is of course after Passover and the diaspora Jews that we used to come to Jerusalem. You know, at least once in their lifetime, mm. uh, in order to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem, they were all there. And so this this speaking in languages uh, is for them because they're, they've lost Hebrew. I th the, the, the imagery that he uses seems like he's really going after the Sadducees. You know, and their, and their lack does, of belief in the resurrection. Well, like, it took the Sadducees to put Jesus to death. Remember, right, we kind right. of resolved that in John. Yeah. Yeah. It took both the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees wanted him put to death a long time before go. Yeah. But the Sadducees were, you know, he's not rocking our boat. And then when he raises Lazarus from the dead, it's like, no, you can't do that. Yeah, I think he's still going after them, like here, like uh, their theology. And so, because he's, stress, he's stressing this whole idea about the resurrection, you know, yeah. resurrection. triumph over yeah. but, but if you look just at what he says about crucifixion, uh -huh. this man, verse 23, handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and you killed. <laughs> That's wrong language. By the hands of those outside the law. What is he talking about, by the hands of those outside the law? I think those that weren't under the covenant, like the Romans. The Romans, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. So here you have this triad that put Jesus to death. You have the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the Pharisees are the scribes. Mm -hmm. um, I have a book by a Jewish rabbi in which he contends that the scribes is the term the scribes used for themselves. They call themselves the scribes. Mm -hmm. the, the Sadducees and others who didn't like them so much called them the Pharisees. You know, it's, it's, it's very interesting because I've, I've had a number of Jewish friends grow up in the D.C. area. It's a huge Jewish community. Yeah. They're still out, the Pharisees are more like the Orthodox Jews. And the Sadducees are more like the Reformed Jews. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you know, it's, it's just, there's still that dichotomy today. You know, it's it's very interesting. So the the parashim is what the Pharisees are in Hebrew. Uh, the parashim, I believe, are the ones who divide and dividing. Well, I I better check that out to make sure. I'm 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 thinking in how it's spelled in English, and I need to go back to the Hebrew. But anyway, they were called the Pharisees by other people. 
including the Sadducees, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they called themselves the scribes. So in Greek, it's not scribes and Pharisees, it's scribes even Pharisees. Mm-hmm. That word and can also be even. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what he contends in the New Testament You should we should translate. Mm-hmm. Well, that's helpful, James. I never heard anyone say that. It kind of explains the Pharisees. They'd be much more the... The left brain, linear detail, if they're scribes, scribes. The law, the law, uh, the legal uh, experts. They they just are. (laughs) They're into the law. And um, the Sadducees are the priestly class. Most of the priests were Sadducees. And and as I understand it, and you know, I've, I've seen different viewpoints on this, so I'm not sure where it is. But it, it appears that the Sadducees held more seats than the Pharisees on the Sanhedrin mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the time of Jesus. Well, even today in the Israeli government, you know, the Reformed always uh, Orthodox. Yeah. They're, they're more into political power, you know. Yeah. So there you have it. I'm not going to draw any parallels. But, but it did take those two groups, those two parties of Judaism... And it took the Romans. So the union between Mm -hmm. a religion and a state Mm -hmm. in order to put Jesus to death. Mm -hmm. That is the fall of Babylon. Mm -hmm. Because she made the because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. What's her fornication? Go to Revelation eighteen. She fornicated with kings. So early Adventists believed that that was the union of church and state to go against God's people. That's what happens here. Well, I sure didn't realize that we're traveling all through Italy and all these points and then coming up through Croatia. All the, you'd say, and then finally I got home, someone explained, these priests, they controlled the government, the taxes were collected there. There were also the banks, mm-hmm. extremely wealthy. Mm-hmm. But it was that whole enmeshment of business and state religion mm-hmm. that made that mm-hmm. you know, at least Southern Europe and that what it was, and had that nasty control over the people and just drained them, you know, and built these huge monolithic structures. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it it it's. I'm just shocked that like we would still buy into this because. History shows us time and time again, not just in Christendom, but in Islam and other you know religions as well, that theocracies are 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 horrific in the effects they have on the people. And and and, and look at the Dark Ages. There's a whole era and so forth where the church was in control and people were you know bubonic plague you and know, all these other things going on and so forth, where people were held under like suffocated or whatever, lack of civilization or whatever, just stranglehold because of these theocracies. You know, if you go back far enough, theocracies were actually a good thing. If you go to the Sumerian period, where the temple held the economy and rescued the people whenever the state fell apart. There were some good good examples. There were some good examples. So then you come, and then of course Egypt was a very stable government. It was very theocratic. You come to Israel, and the theocracy of Israel was supposed to be God-driven. God, prophet, And judges and and fathers and elders and and that sort of thing, no king. Right. Once Israel chose a king, 
to be like the nations around Israel. That became the union of church and state, or religion and state. They started that way. And they weren't completely that way. They still kind of listened to the prophets, but not completely. Where they really come full circle is right here in the Gospels and in Acts, where they go to the state to get permission to put Jesus to death. And the state actually puts him to death, but they instigate it. That's the model of Babylon falling that you have in Revelation. And then we have it again and again and again in history. So you crucified and killed. This is not a positive thing. And what has happened in evangelical Christianity is that we have whitewashed it into a positive thing that because God in his foreknowledge and definite plan planned that Jesus die this way, therefore the Jews were right in putting him to death. Here we're just fulfilling God's plan. That theology of God's foreknowledge being his will and his plan being his will has yeah, been abused. That's, that's very abused. Wow. Uh, because now it's become a hermeneutic that if God if God planned a split in Israel, therefore he must have. And if he uh, supported the split, then he must have wanted the split. No, he just when you've broken, this is the best way to to begin healing. Doesn't mean it's good. Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean you are not at fault. And so I I think that you have this kind of two-pronged thing. Yes, God foreknew it. He planned it. But he didn't want it. You're still to blame for crucifying Jesus. Uh I I think we have to keep that in in balance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Foreknowledge doesn't predest. No. No. And uh, that's... uh, Calvinism has really taken... A very strong, how should I put it? Most evangelical churches have swung towards Calvinism in the last three decades. And so predestination is becoming increasingly a major hermeneutic in scripture interpretation. Our time is up. We got half, I, I knew we weren't going to get half. This is a good start. What are our time for more? Okay. <laughs> So next week, I'm going to be in the choir room Sabbath school. I'm going to be talking about curses on people in the Old Testament. And then the next Sabbath, I'll be back. So you're welcome to join in the choir room Sabbath school class if you're going to be here. Oh, choir room. We love the choir room, but like we love this more. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm doing choir room Sabbath school yeah, next that's week. Good. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll be in D.C., but, but, but Mom won't be here. So. so you're welcome to come. I want to pray for you, Gene, too, yeah. for your your physical condition. And, and, Thank uh, you. Yeah. yeah, because it's baffling my doctors. I don't know. No, they don't know. Yeah, can we do that for you? Yeah. yeah. Father God, we just thank you so much for blessing us in so many ways, and blessing us through Gene. And we just mm-hmm. would lift her up as we end our class, and and. Um, I just ask that you would be uh, intercede in her life and physically to uh, give her health and give her stability that uh, 
uh, we need her and the students need her and we just uh, want her to have the energy and uh, the strength to carry on and we just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you.